It is clear that learning happens by observing, listening, exploring, experimenting, and asking questions. But being interested, motivated, and engaged in learning is as important. Hello all, I'm Paige, and I'm glad to be presenting Chezuba Talks, a podcast that brings you stories of incredible people doing remarkable work for communities. I'm joined today by Randon Trober of Earthwind, a non-profit working in the area of education, more specifically STEAM education, science, technology, engineering, art, and math. Randon, in his own words, is foremost a single father of three daughters who are his inspiration, having worked as a financial advisor for a very large, well-known firm, he felt out of alignment and way out of integrity. The rest, as you say, is history. Let's hear how Earthwind was born and how it is changing the way children learn while doing. Welcome, Randon. Hello, thank you for having me. Randon, I'm an educator myself and I'm very interested in what you are about to share. My first question to you is, who came up with that lovely name? Randon? Uh, well, uh, Earthwind. Oh, I thought you meant Randon. <laughs> Um, well, I'll tell you, my mom came up with Randon, and I, I've never met anybody with that name before um, either. Uh, Earthwind, was, that arose because my one of my best friends, every time we went anywhere uh, together, it just seemed like everything was a win. You know, we everything we would run into and everything we would do, we'd go, of course it happened that way. Of course it worked perfectly. It's a win. And what we really wanted uh, when I was creating the beginning of the company was I wanted that feeling for a company and a culture and really for the outcome of our planet, a win for the earth, you know, for people to be stoked about the wins that we can all have on a daily basis. So you feel very strongly about the earth and climate change and uh, doing something to, you know, bring it to some sort of equilibrium. Yeah, I I started um, I I started making money at a young age, uh, like twenty four. I was making pretty good money, and it kept rolling forward from there. And I realized uh, by the time I was forty five, forty, um, I just started to feel out of alignment because my purpose in life was uh, to make money so that I could make uh, other people money so that they would help get other people to give me their money so that I can make them more money and then I could make more money. And it just, it, it was really hollow of purpose and meaning. Um, you know, really my, in the beginning when this started, um, I, I always had a, a deep connection with the outdoors. I've always skied and rock climbed and I've camping and we're very lucky here in um, the Pacific Northwest to have such easy access to the forest and the beauty. And I raised my kids going out in the forest. And um, as they grew older, um, 
I noticed there was a lot of anxiety, especially as they got into junior high and high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have three daughters and they're my everything, my inspiration, my life, my love, my hope. And gosh, when they were young, they were just absolutely the funniest. We were the funniest crew. And uh, now as they got older, they didn't want to have children. And our house was always the house with all the kids that would come. You know, you have three daughters, obviously other kids want to hang out. Right. And they're they're very beautiful and fun and dynamic, right? And all of the kids had the same uh, feeling. They didn't want to have bring children into this world. And that made me really sad. And here I am Mm -hmm. working for money so that what, hopefully I can uh, retire and get a bigger house and take more vacations, you know? So what? We're watching uh, the the largest collapse of our ecosystems, at least in in mankind's history. And I don't want to just retire as a consumer and with a bad game of golf. Um, I, and look in my daughter's eyes and not feel like I at least tried. I don't know if I'm going to be successful, but gosh, I'm going to go down trying. I'm going to try and make the world a better place. I'm going to try and make an impact. I'm going to try and leave something for them. That was my, my real thrust of motivation. That's the reason. Yeah. Lovely. Uh, Doting father, uh, thinking about the future of their daughters. This is just amazing. You, uh, you brought things into perspective, you know, but money is important, right? You need to do something. You need money for that. No money, no mission every day. That's, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, that was another thing is I, uh, in developing this, other than getting it started, I believe it can be self-sustaining. Um, really the, the fundraising mechanisms today in foundations and, uh, the way nonprofits are operating is really broken. Um, there are over one and a half million nonprofits and they're all out there mm-hmm. trying to do good, right? And and every cause right. is good and every intention is good. And some of them, actually some of them have better intention and better causes and are less funded. And some are huge with a lot of uh, middle management and structure and overhead yeah, uh, is, and they yeah, get tons of money. Um, the, the problem is that the the money the these large foundations are really stodgy they're old they're institutions and the people working in them it's like being in government and they do their mm-hmm. job and they need to perform their job and have certain metrics that they answer to so that they can get that right. money next year and spend it all and so they always seem seemingly spend their money doing the same thing that they did the year before and on the same causes and they say oh we have our nonprofits that we've been supporting for the last 20 30 40 50 years that give the same results that they've been getting. And and when you look around, the results are not impactfully getting in better or improving. You know, I go to Buckminster Fuller's uh, great quote where to 
to change things, you've got to create something new that makes the old way obsolete. And when you yeah. come up with something truly disruptive and truly um, impactful, most of the old institutions don't know what to do with it because it doesn't fit their old paradigm metrics. And so that's something that we've run into and it's something that we seek to change with our model. Let's take a break to understand what Jazuba is. Everyone at some point ponders on how this beautiful life can be made more meaningful. Maybe you're a leader trying to enhance your employees' experience at your organization. Or you already work for the community and seek volunteers with state-of-the-art skills to strengthen your nonprofit. Whatever your situation, know that you can make a difference. Chizuba began with this very vision, a vision to facilitate every skill and every passion in the world in meeting a social need. Corporate volunteering has several benefits for both businesses and organizations. In parallel, experienced and enthusiastic volunteers join NGO workers, enabling them to serve the community more effectively. Chizuba offers everyone looking to add purpose and meaning to their lives a chance to connect or volunteer virtually with non-profit organizations from over 100 countries around the world. Visit www.chizuba.net and explore opportunities to find meaning. Chizuba, your platform to do good. And now, back with our guest. Right. So creating disruption is what leads to growth. That's ah. true in every aspect of life. Yeah, that's yeah. so well put. So okay. well put. And uh, when you, uh, that, that's a new way of looking at nonprofits. Actually, I never thought of it, you know, that uh, some nonprofits are just running for the sake of running uh, because they have committed to that cause, not thinking of something else. So your thought process into getting into Earthwind is to focus on STEAM subjects so that children uh, are encouraged to think more from the conservation perspective that is the <clears throat> actually that uh, that's a very interesting question and it's something that we bump up against um, that is actually the entry point and that is the viability of what we're creating um, and it's the first touch point ultimately what we're doing is we're we're utilizing um, a systems that are already in place and proven to be effective, and we're recreating them in a gamified environment so that they're more accessible and fun. And then we're using that as a launching point to go to other steps. Let me give you an example. So uh, my uh, <clears throat> a little girl in a local school, she went to the principal and she says, uh, Mrs. Wilson, I want to plant trees. She's in the seventh grade, right? I want to plant trees to offset the carbon footprint of our uh, new gymnasium that was just built. And, oh. <laughs> and the, the principal says, that's nice. That's nice, May. Uh, run to class. Go talk to your teacher. And then she goes to her teacher and uh, she says, um, I, 
teacher, I would like to plant trees to offset the carbon footprint of our gymnasium. That's nice. Sit down. Uh -huh. We got to do your work. Go talk to your science teacher. And then she goes, Mr. Uh -huh. Douglas, I would like to da -da 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 -da, plant trees to offset carbon footprints. Yeah. And he says, that's great. Go talk to your principal. And she gave up. <laughs> That was the end of the story. Uh, and so the kids want to be engaged. And today, more than any other time, they have been thrust for the last decade into high feedback environments in the form of games. And so they all, they're gaming. They're playing Minecraft. They're playing um, all these games that are online. They're, they're being babysat by their devices. And it's so much information. Cool. But then they go to school and it's like Little House on the Prairie. It's from a hundred years ago. They're still using the same tactics. It's outdated. Yes. It's outdated and it's slow and they're not getting the stimulation they need. And the number one thing that we're hearing from talking to literally hundreds of educators, principals, child development specialists is engagement. These kids are, you know, drooling on their desk and they don't know how to get them to engage. And apathy and depression are at an all time high. Engagements at a record low. And so <clears throat> we are approaching this from that angle of how to first stimulate them. Well, experiential learning has been known for decades and decades to be <clears throat> yes. the best Absolutely. way to really fire up our children, engage them, help them uh, apply what they're learning in school. Uh, and it also creates up to six times the neural connections and retention rates, right? So all educators are pretty much like, that's the way to go. But today, especially in America, educators don't have the bandwidth or time to do extracurricular projects. And so they're kind of stuck. So kids want to be engaged. Educators want to do experiential learning projects. They don't have time and they're held up by outdated processes. Um, the number one topic the kids want to engage with is climate change and sustainability projects. They want to be valued with real world problems. They want to save the whales. They want to save the dolphins. They want to save the forest. They want to say, you know, all of these things, they want to make an impact that, on yeah. poverty. They see what's happening on the internet. And, and you know, what do we give them? That's nice, little girl. Go take your seat, right? So our first entry point was to utilize what they're using in school, STEM education, and to do real-world pro pro uh, projects to engage our kids, to make them feel valued, to make them have the sense of um, pride for making an impact. Um, and then from there, that's the beginning. And then to guide them through actional projects that will follow them from sixth grade into university. And it's actually an app that will follow them and grow with them. And the projects get more, uh, more intense, more, uh, challenging. And it's like leveling up. Um, when you think about how kids are interacting with their games and devices, one of the most stimulating pieces to that is kids like to create avatars and they like to create yeah. characters. 
Yes. It's because they can identify with that avatar and that avatar is moving around and doing things and creating things. And that avatar levels up and that avatar, when it levels up for achievements, it gets um, badges, rewards, it gets powers, it gets more energy, it gets more bright, it gets more um, uh, rewards, right? Well, mm-hmm. what if we had a game that that avatar is leveling up as you yourself are leveling up in the real world and creating real world achievements. That's what we're creating here. Um, And that's the inspiration. And I think even more importantly, foundations want to fund impact. They want, you know, at the end of the day, there's three questions they ask. Do I, do I care about what you care about? That's number one. Number two is um, why should I give to you? Uh, There's um, one and a half million uh, nonprofits out there, and there's probably a hundred that do something in STEM, STEAM education. Uh, Why you? Or why are you going? If I give you a hundred thousand dollars or a thousand dollars, what impact are you going to have? Right. And then the third question Mm -hmm. is, do I trust you? Do you have a good team? Do you have, uh, you know, fiscal responsibility? But the second question is impact. And 90% of all the uh, foundations, the feedback that I've talked to, the feedback that I get, they realize and they, uh, in the reporting that a great deal of the reporting that is coming back from nonprofits to the foundation is fluff. It's not um, trackable data. And so if we had an army of kids doing actionable projects and doing audits in their schools to make their school become more sustainable, whether it's energy conservation or creation, water conservation or preservation, um, tree planting, uh, plastic reduction, you know, there's a, a number of things that all of these kids can do for their school. We had a database that actually showed what uh, actions each school or what the state of each school was. And then we can move out from there into businesses and large buildings. We can lo- and also into the home. What is each person's home doing? And a lot of it is going to be based on integrity, which is the greatest lesson that we teach within the application. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Is, you know, it's an it's integrity. Um, it's a sense of radical responsibility and extreme ownership for your actions and your community. So yeah, STEM education is an entry point, but the greater thing is to create a database of trackable data of impact so that uh, foundations can say, now I understand. Yes, I can invest in that. I hope that was the, a good answer of your question. Yes, it was. Uh, you you delved deep into uh, why you need to start at where you're starting and uh, how you aim to progress uh, as a child is also growing. But uh, Randon tell me gamification, basically, uh, you know, I would assume that you faced a situation where somebody must have said, oh, not another app. Did you ever oh, come across yeah. something like that? 
Yes, of course. Well, um, you know, I think gamification of education is really taking off because we, I think for the most part, can all see that education is outdated and, and needs modeling and needs to be brought into this century, right? Um, and there, you know, you look into your phone at any point in time and you start scrolling, there's literally millions of apps that sit in the vast wasteland. Exactly, uh, yes. Right. I think the difference here is we ran an alpha test on this uh, on a web app version of this strategy. And so there's existing curricula that's uh, that a lot of uh, educators are using to follow so that kids can do an actionable project for their school. And it there's one especially it was developed by the World Wildlife Fund. And you can go into the World Wildlife uh, Federation, dig through their website, and you can't find it to start. It's it's hidden in there somewhere. We we had to dig for it, but they helped uh, several other organizations. Like in Oregon, there's Oregon Green Schools. There's the Environmental Center here locally. There's um, in Washington State. There's uh, Earth Gen. And they use that same curricula and it works and it's step by step. The problem is, and so we know it works, right? The problem is, is it's teacher centric and it's a boring old business form PDF and you print it off and the teacher educates with it. Um, and the kids, they can do their project one hour a week during their lunch break. They skip lunch once one day a week to do their project. Well, so it takes all year to do that project. And then uh, moving forward is slow and they get finally they get to where they've done an audit. They've got a strategy. They've built a budget and they got approvals from the teacher in here to even put a raised garden bed at a school. You got to get approval from the principal, the vice principal, the superintendent, and the school district. That's a lot, right? Who does that go on? It always lands on the teacher who's already overworked and underpaid. And then right. now we got to fund it. So then organizations would reach out to us or the environmental center. Or there's a five other organizations. Who does that land on? The teacher. Funding always falls short. And so then what do they do? Well, they do uh, brownie bake sales. They do car washes. They do art auctions. They do something, you know, that's largely ineffective. It takes the kids off course. It leaves them vacillating in wonderment of whether or not the project's going to move forward. Then they get the money. Then they can complete the project. Well, now they're at the end of the school year and they completed their project summer's coming and what happens nothing mm -hmm. they aren't celebrated nobody knows about it there's no um uh, a, a sharing of the accomplishment and then it falls in again it falls flat at the and then next year this this school who built a sustainability program has to start from scratch from square one zero without a sustainability club the teacher doesn't want to volunteer again the students don't want to participate again and so now they have no teacher no students and they, and it has to like organically start again from scratch and so it doesn't continue so we wanted to solve for that but what we saw was an opportunity to create something that would solve for the funding 
solve for the sustainability of the program and the virability. And so, first of all, our program, our first year, we received more student submissions than any other organization in our region and oh, because nice. of the way that we structured it. And the students would log online and they would, um, we turned it into a challenge and they had to answer what, uh, uh, you know, why, what, now what, right? And so um, they submitted a video expressing what project they wanted to do, um, why it was important, and why people should care about their Earth Wind project. And then we funded the, the most likely projects. Okay. So in that process, they applied I mean, these kids at seventh grade were doing analysis of how fast a tree grows, how much carbon it sequesters out of the environment. I mean, real science. Wow. It was amazing. They were doing how much uh, gas a car burns idling for 15 minutes in front of the school, how much uh, energy could be saved if it didn't. They did surveys. They did um, how many uh, insects would be able to thrive if they built a pollinator pathway. I mean, real application of real stuff. I'm telling you, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, amazing, college yeah. level work. It was amazing. So exciting. So it is. It sounds very exciting, lovely. But let me play the devil's advocate here, um, Randon. You know, gamification affects users in very very different ways uh, yeah. it depends largely on their personality traits also so wouldn't learning depend on the specific characteristics of uh, users uh, i mean see the teacher has to teach uh, to uh, a class right she she or he cannot teach few students based on only their intellectual capacity so when you talk about these at the end of the year we are back to square one but uh, the teacher also is uh, challenged by different uh, abilities. So how was gamification addressing that? That's a great question. Um, I think I think what's mostly needs to be addressed in our society is the idea of the bell curve. Um, a friend shared this to me with me one time and I was like, oh, my God, he nailed it. Um, so we all know how grading happens on a bell curve, correct? Yeah. You know, you get the, you yeah. get the, the, the bell curve. Um, yes. And so if everybody in the class was extraordinarily smart, we're talking about the highest IQ in the world and they're in the same class and we're grading on a bell curve. That means that the kid at the lowest end of the bell curve is still extraordinary. Correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, that also, if we move that, uh, that class and say, let's say that they're the most marginalized, challenged population, underserved, and, um, you know, they're just barely hanging on and they're not, they don't have good education, good educators, they're underfunded and they're not well cared for. There's still extraordinary kids in there. However, as a group, let's say that just by chance, this particular group is not the most extraordinary kids in the world and they're still graded on the bell curve. Well, that means the highest achieving kid 
is still lower than the lowest achieving kid on the other side in the other group. Correct. Right. Yes. But he, but that kid gets an A and the other kid gets an F. So this whole idea that we all need to move as a unit and be judged and graded against each other is completely false. Kids learn and grow at their own rate and they're inspired by what they're inspired by. And, you know, you think about a little girl coming home from, I always think about girls because I had girls, but a little girl coming home and saying, hey, daddy, I brought my report card. Oh, very good, honey. I see you got an A in writing. You got an A in PE. You got an A in social studies and science. Oh, but you got a C in math. You need to work on your math. Mm -hmm. That's like standard dialogue. (laughs) That's a standard dialogue. Do you see how wrong that is? Because not everybody is going to be a doctor. Not everybody's going to be involved in student-driven sustainability projects. Not everybody is going to be um, a scientist. Not everybody is going to be a football player. We want to take the kids that are interested in this topic and show them a way that they can move at their pace very quickly. And I didn't get to say before about you were asking being the devil's advocate about how we grow this. Well, it's the funding mechanism. The funding mechanism is using their social platforms to share. The average student project costs $1,000, okay? Inside of the average education community is 3,000 people. That's 600 students, faculty, and staff, another 1,500 Uh, family members, and then another 1,500 extended family members. Each of these people has on average four to 500 social connections. But just there, in that 3,000 people in the community, to fund a a $1,000 project is 30 cents each. So instead of taking kids off course to do a peer, a a fundraiser doing a bake sale or a car wash, we could do a peer-to-peer fundraising campaign. But And what happens is that we raise the money twice as fast, but the kids get the recognition, recognition that they so deeply crave. That's the whole purpose of social media is everybody wants recognition. They want to be seen. Everybody wants to be Validation. special and do something meaningful. And so we're utilizing those tools and that creates the enthusiasm, the excitement and the sustainability for the program. One of our kids last year, a seventh grader started a project, did it all on her own. She funded it and uh, then we shared it. And then some high school kids picked up that project and they started a coalition. Well, five kids started it and they started a coalition and now there's 30 kids from five different high schools doing that project in all the schools in our central Oregon region. That's how it works. Wow, that is a success story. Yeah. (laughs) That's wonderful, wonderful. Uh, But again, um, sorry for uh, playing the devil's advocate every every time. But uh, when, when you look at Facebook or social media or Instagram or whatever it is, Parents don't want the children to spend so much time on that. Now, if you give them a project that is already uh, also going to ask them to seek validation and likes from peers and uh, other people, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. wouldn't that also create some kind of competition, a negative kind of competition? Yeah, we're well, we're certainly not going to do anything on TikTok 
Um, I, it's our belief that TikTok is uh, the scourge of our attention. Um, and we're going to use Facebook. It's, gen, you know, uh, Facebook is bleeding youth users. They don't have uh, new, they're not acquiring new users. But, you know, there's also the good part about um, Facebook, what it's done in our planet as far as spreading knowledge uh, into the vast reaches of our society. You know, there's been a lot of it's also affected politics uh, negatively and positively. We know that. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, is kids are doing this and adults are doing this and it's not going away. And so it's how can we, away, yeah. it's not going away and to, and to say that we can make it go away or to stop it is being ignorant. And so how can we do something in a positive way that shows kids what it's really meant for the spreading of good information and technology and um, the application of meaningful impact. And Facebook is the best format for that. It's more meaningful content on Facebook. Um, and they're sharing their accomplishments. Randon, tell me, does this uh, app or does Earthwind require parental consent? You know, actually, that's one of the uh, main things that we were really focusing on from the beginning is not the parental consent, but how to make um, how to bring the other generations into the conversation. Because when we first started this program, we started with the big question of how do we make the most impact? And we had to identify the problem. And what the problem is, and please hear this with tongue in cheek, we identified the greatest problem on our planet is in Western cultures, women 25 to 55. And I like to say it because I say it like that because people go, oh, women, um, women 25 to 55 drive 80% of consumer spending. And so we're using the children to reach them and to help impact that. And we really want to make this a multi-generational con uh, uh, connection device. And so not only that, but then the, our elders 65 and over have been, uh, they've, they've sidelined themselves from the conversation. Yes. And so how can they have a sense of connection with their grandchildren and be part of the conversation of what's going on instead of sidelining themselves? And how do we educate from the bottom up instead of from the top down? Well, when little Sally cre uh, accomplishes a goal or achievement, mom is alerted. Mom has to be on the app as well to follow along for Sally to be even be doing this. And oh, so wow. that creates child safety with everything that's done. And also um, mom gets an alert and, and it prompts her to give Sally a high five and say, good job. Well, then uh, the app prompts mom to learn the same thing that Sally learned through the same little lesson. They're very short. It's micro uh, achievements with micro rewards to create macro impact. And so when mom learns that same lesson, Sally gets points and, and it prompts Sally to give mom a high five. Well, the same thing when grandpa is sitting home watching TV or out on the golf course, he can say, oh my God, look what my granddaughter achieved. Give her a high five. And then 
it prompts mm -hmm. grandpa to learn the same lesson yeah, so Sally can yeah. yeah. So multi-generational connections and spreading awareness. That's our uh, our uh, mission statement. USB, is... you could call it a USB. <laughs> <laughs> our, it's our, wonderful. Our mission statement is to educate and expand awareness of mindful living for global well-being. And that's what we're doing. And we're using the thrust of children and their enthusiasm to do it. Wonderful. It's a beautiful way of connecting the family, the world. And uh, a lot of thought has gone into uh, creating this. I can see that. And you're very passionate about it. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much. You have uh, convinced me with your math skills. You have convinced me with your reasoning skills. And I can see you are a critical thinker as well. So <laughs> that speaks a lot for Earthwind. Oh, well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. This was fun. <laughs> Uh, well, the purpose of gamification is to motivate a child to want to learn. And in most cases, they won't even realize that they are learning because they're having so much fun. Thank you very much, Randon, for sharing knowledge about Earthwind. I'm positive that you will reach many more learners and create a healthy impact on uh, the education field in general. Good luck to you. Thank you very much. Thank you, friends. I'll see you all again in the next episode. Till then, goodbye.